I want to thank the pastor for allowing me to be here today, and it's a joy to be with you, and it's good to see you. I would like for you to take your Bibles, first of all, and find Ephesians chapter 6, and if you've got a bulletin or a marker or a pen or something, turn to Ephesians 6 and mark it, because that's where we're going to unbuckle today and look at Ephesians chapter 6. So once you find that, and I will speak on spiritual survival today. Ephesians chapter 6. As I look out among you, you may not know this, but every person here who is a believer, you have a target on your back. Satan is ever looking to throw his fiery darts at you constantly. Ways that you have not even dreamed of. And we'll look at that. So if you found Ephesians 6, I have a little card. I'm going to mark mine. Now turn with me over to 1 Peter 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter. Isn't it amazing? Here was the man that always was putting his foot in his mouth. And yet right before his death, he writes two of the most needful, helpful epistles to us today. There's things that we would never know if it had not been for the writing of Peter. And Peter writes on such a practical, spiritual level for all of us. I would recommend not only that you read it, but study it through. You've got your Bibles to, uh, to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, excuse me, chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, and we'll begin in verse 8. He says, be sober. Now, that word sober does not necessarily mean alcohol, not to be drunk or that. You're not to be that, for sure. But the word here actually means to be calm, to be collective, to have your thoughts together, to don't be hyped up. Why is that? Because the next word he says, be vigilant. Ever on your guard. Be vigilant. In other words, be cautious, be alert, be ever on your guard. Why, why, why should we be that, Peter? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's where he's at. So he walks about us. He is amidst us, and he's looking for people that he could just simply, I'm going to set my vernacular from the country, eat you up and spit you out. That's exactly what he wants to do. Then turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul gives us our defense mechanism against these fiery darts of the evil one, but right in the midst of these, he gives us one offensive weapon that we can fight back. And without putting on, or literally, it's the word here where it says in Ephesians 6 verse 11, put on, it's like actually putting on a garment or getting into a garment like Nathan has his hunting outfit. And he puts this thing on. It's like sliding into that, getting it on. What good is it to have an armor over here if you're not wearing it? So it's a choice of my will to put it on. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. So therefore it's a volition of my will, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles comes from the Greek word methodia. It's used only twice in the New Testament. And it means very simply that in this spot here means it's cunning, deceiving, deceiving, trickery ways. He's got more in his book, 
more ways in his arsenal than you and I will ever dream up in a lifetime. People say, man, I got the devil figured out. No, you don't. Because there's ways he's been around for thousands of years since creation. And listen, he is slick, slicker than boiled okra. He knows exactly how to get into your life, put thoughts into your head, actually problems that you would never, ever dream of. So he's telling us to put on the whole armor that you can stand against the method of him. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. My battle is not against my wife. My battle is not against my neighbor. My battle is not against the deacons of the church, the Iokonos, I like that. My battle is not against other people. That's exactly what Satan wants me to think. Now watch this. If my battle is against another brother in Christ or someone like that, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fight with you in the flesh. And flesh, whether it's USDA good flesh, doesn't make any difference. It's going to produce flesh. The more you fight in the flesh, the more you're going to stay in the flesh and you're going to be away from God. The battle is not against fellow people. Doesn't dismiss their bad things that they do. But who do you think has energized them? Where do you think those subtle, devious ways have come from? So we wrestle not against flesh and blood in verse 12, but here it is against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, in light of all of this, take, again, a personal volition of your will, taken to you, if, wherefore taking you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having or and have done all to stand. Three times he tells us to stand, to stand, to stand. Not one time does he tell us to flee. Verse 14, stand therefore have your loins girded about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And he said, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fairy darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, if I'm just speaking in my flesh, that's all it is. I'm wasting the time, Father, of these dear, precious people here at New Grace Baptist Church. And Father, I pray today that you would take this vessel... And Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit. Lord, take and give me strength to be able to endure and to proclaim your word. And Father, we ask that you would cause us to realize that we ever need to be on our guard, to be vigilant, for the evil one is running on our heels at all times. And for those, Father, who have never trusted Christ, bring them to the cross today. In Jesus' name, amen. I can only speak of myself, but when I began full-time ministry, I'm like a lot of other men. I had a lot of zeal, but I had a little knowledge. And one of the particular areas that I lacked skill or wisdom in was spiritual warfare. Now listen to me. No one, I mean no one, prepared me, mentored me, trained me, or talked to me about spiritual warfare. And however, after a few years, God had put a very godly couple in my B's life. 
He had just returned from Africa, he and his wife, where they both were just horribly physically treated. He was even in a prison camp where they had beaten him. But a lot of stories there I don't need to go into. And this man and his wife began to just, all of a sudden, become like a father to me. Doctors Tom and Fran Courtney. And so they began to pour into our life. And while they were in Africa, they had fought many, many spiritual battles. I remember one time when I was in my second church and I was going through a real fierce battle. I felt like I was just in deep, deep valley of fighting it. So I call up Tom hoping he will kind of kind of encourage me a little bit, you know, and put a little salve on my hurting sore there where I'm, I'm really just beat up good. I call and talk to Dr. Courtney and tell him what's going on and listen to his next words. If I could have got to him, I would have hit him. But I was in North Carolina and he was in Florida. And when I told him my story, listen to what he said. Larry, welcome to the family of God. I didn't want to hear that. I wanted to hear somebody ooze and cry and say, oh, what's going on? In all reality, he was exactly right. The moment you are converted, whether you like it or not, you are enrolled into a battle against Satan. Now listen to me. Either you put on the whole armor of God and join in the battle, or you're going to get run over like a paving machine coming down the road, and he's just going to wipe you out. God knows this. You say, well, Brother Larry, I didn't choose to fight the devil. It didn't make any difference. He chose to fight you. And there's two things about spiritual warfare that we need to be very careful and we're very vulnerable of. Number one is ignorance. A lot of people enter into battle and don't realize what they're doing. And number two is not only ignorance, but it's arrogance. So first is, is ignorance. As a believer, we need to be aware of the and observe obs, and a very observant of the world that's around us and be knowledgeable. Just don't go into battle being ignorant. Serving Jesus will provide you a lifetime of opportunities that you've never dreamed of. At the same time, Satan will fill your life with many well hidden landmines, and it's essential for you to know your strengths. And to know your weaknesses, you must have, as you go into battle, three things. You must have an open heart. You must have free ears from distraction and eyes that are willing to follow Jesus. If not, your strengths can become your downfall thinking. Man, I got it. Ed Heinsohn said this, and I'll call his name because most of you don't know him, other than Fred and Susie and I. But most of you don't know him, but in it's years ago that it happened. He said, my strengths, where I thought I had it all together and I could handle it, became my downfall. Wow. Second thing, not only know your strengths, but your strengths will become your downfall. Your weaknesses, listen to this, will make you vulnerable to the slightest temptation. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16, Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Three areas you need to know and know them well. And listen, it may not make sense, but it will bring it all together here. Number one, know your terrain. What are you talking about? Just listen to my illustration. Hawaiian travel agencies tried to lure people to take a vacation in Hawaii by saying, God created the earth, then he made Hawaii. 
And it's as if there's nothing dangerous on the islands of Hawaii. But I want to tell you, there is hidden dangers on what they call American paradise. On the big island of Hawaii, if the five chains that we most know about has one of the five most active volcanoes in all of Hawaii, Kilauea. And Kilauea is a continually erupting volcano. But tourists are just and how enamored by it. And they want to see the hot red lava flowing down. We'll fly over it. And some folks, man, I, I just, I just got to get over there and walk on it. <clears throat> but they don't realize something. They think, man, that's solid ground. So they're walking on that cool, hard lava. But there's places in that lava that it's only an inch or two inches thick. Underneath of that, is tubes of lava reaching 2,140 degrees paradise. At any moment, at any time, you can break through an instant death. With all of the beauty of Hawaii, there are hidden dangers. Listen to this. Know your terrain. Satan has sinkholes that looks like solid ground, and you can sink in it at any moment and any time. I love this song, Brother John. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Secondly, know yourself. Know your strengths and know your weaknesses. Jane was a very highly competent and successful business lady. And because of her self-confidence and success, she needed very little affirmation. But she and her husband were Christian people. They faithfully attended church, and as they would hear messages about giving their life, surrendering their life to God, God began to deal with their hearts, especially about missions. So they had surrendered their life to missions. A missions board accepted them, went through all the pre-field training, and the next thing they knew, they were in Central Asia. In a country where women were dismissed as ignorant and unimportant outside of childbirth. She was crushed. Her identity was gone. Regardless of what she did to gain approval and acceptance, it was frustrating and it was impossible to turn the locals' view about women. Her identity that she had in the past as being a successful, confident business, business lady was totally gone. It meant nothing to the people of her surrounding. But during that time, she came to understand something that she was seriously lacking in substance and death spiritually to navigate a foreign land where she was at. Friends, when you are in a spiritual battle and going through it, you're going to learn your weaknesses real quickly. And you're going to find out that if you're not strong in the Lord, you're not going to be able to successfully navigate through the troubles of life. Know your enemy. Warren Worsby says, Satan, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, he says this, he is a roaring lion. He never and ever is on the move. He never rests. He never takes a break. He's always looking, listen to this, for just the slightest crack in your armor that he can pierce right into it. Worsby goes on to say, as a serpent, he deceives. He will play games with your mind. He will trick you with a false bait 
and you will bite at it. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. And he says, as a lion, he devours. The word Satan means adversary. He's your enemy. The word devil means he is accuser of the brethren. So know your enemy. During the 7th century A.D., there was a Chinese general by the name of Sung Tu. In his book on the art of war, it is so successful that what he has written, the Chinese army today uses his philosophy along with the American military to train our troops today. Listen to what he says. One who knows his enemy and knows himself will not be in danger of a hundred battles. One who does not know the enemy but knows himself will sometimes win and sometimes lose. Now listen to this. One who does not know his enemy and does not know himself will be in danger in every battle. So Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, understand that Satan is not up in heaven. He's not down in hell. He's walking among us on the earth looking for people that he can deceive and that he can crush. And when he does this and your life is ruined, your testimony is ruined, your power with others is ruined, he laughs at his full four voice at you. Dr. Miller in his book on spiritual warfare writes an entire chapter on this. He says, knowing your enemy, now listen to this statement. He says, no one, listen to this, no one, I mean no one, who enters into a conversation with the devil ever wins. He's far smarter than you think. Did you realize that God created him Lucifer, the most beautiful of all the created beings of everything? He was created to to sing praises to God. Probably, as Dr. Wilmot used to say, had an organ on him of his tapestries. He was beautiful. He's created to bring glory to God. But in his own pride, he said, I will be, I will be. Pride rose up in his heart and he rebelled against God. He is a dangerous enemy, a serpent who can bite you when you least expect it. He's a destroyer. He is a destroyer, meaning this. He is a roaring lion seeking you. He is also accuser of the brethren. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 says, Night and day, he goes before God. He says, uh-huh, do you see him? Do you see what he did? And he's there to accuse us night and day before the throne of God. He has power and intelligence. Do you realize that he was so deceptive that in his downfall, he was able to get one third of the angelic host to follow with him? So if you want to know who demons are, demons are fallen angels. Now, let me give you another word. They will never, ever be redeemed and they will spend eternity in Gehenna hell. But right now, they work under the authority of Satan. And remember, he is a affordable enemy, meaning this. Never joke about him. Never ignore him. Never underestimate his ability. Now you say, Brother Larry, I didn't choose a battle against the devil. 
Why in the world am I in spiritual warfare? Well, let me tell you why. Very simple. You are a child of God, and Satan hates anything that honors God, that praises God, and connected to God. And if you want to hurt a heart of a parent, hurt their kid. I'm a child of God, birthed into the family of God, blown by God. And if Satan can ruin me, if Satan can ruin you, if he can hurt you, he is getting back at God. But I want you to know, I've read the book, the Logos, and in the end we win. But between now and then, he's throwing those fiery darts, hitting us knockout blows and continually fighting us. Did you know that he is on a mission to blind the lost? And take as many people as possible as he can to hell with him. Jesus said, those that are along the path that hear the word and then the devil comes and he takes the word from their heart. In other words, when the gospel is being preached, it is there and it hasn't penetrated. And before you get home and have your Sunday lunch, the evil one will come and steal the word away. How many times have you been convinced in a message in a church when Pastor Sean has been preaching and you felt like going to the altar, but you didn't do business with Jesus and you said, I will, I'll do it, I'll take care of it. And before Sunday's over, you forgot all about it. Who do you think stole that from you? Jesus says this, that tells us about him. I want the young people to listen to me. The word love is not in the devil's vocabulary. He doesn't understand the word or know the word. Let me tell you something also goes along with that. The word compassion is absolutely not found in his vocabulary as well. Jesus says this about him in John chapter 8. Jesus says in John 8 that he was a murderer from the beginning... And that he is a liar and he is the father of lies. That's how he described him. There's no truth in him. Athalea is the Greek word for truth. There's nothing in him. He is darkness, no light. He is full of lies. He is murder. He's out to take, destroy, and to kill. You think of that the next time. Therefore, respect him. He is dangerous. He knows every weakness of Larry Henderson. He knows every weakness of Fred Horsley. He knows every weakness of Brother John. He knows every weakness of every one of us. And he knows how to trick us. Then recognize him. Man, when the word methodia means he is tricky. He is sneaky. My mother used to call us about kids. My mama was very bright. She looked at a kid and sees him up real quickly. She ought to. She had 10 of us. And she said, he's sneaky. I knew what that meant. You can't trust him. And listen, you can't trust the devil. He's sneaky. Not only is it that you need to respect him, you need to recognize him, you need to resist him. Well, how do I resist him? Glad you asked that question. The Lord has given us in Ephesians chapter 6 a defense mechanism with one offensive weapon to be able to fight against the devil when he comes our way. Let's look back in Ephesians chapter 6 and look in verse 11. And by the way, six times in verse 11 and in verse 12, the word against is used. Watch this. 
says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. See that? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So here are these things we're fighting constantly against. But Brother Larry, what is it we're to fight into? What is it we use? Well, in verse 11, he says, put on the planopy of God, the whole armor of God. Then we come to verse 13. Wherefore take. In other words, here it is. It is of my volition, of my will, that God has given me spiritual armor for the battle to be able to fight against the, de the devil. And I have to take it of my choice every day and put it on. Well, what is it? Therefore, taking you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. In verse 14, he tells us about first is with truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the gospel of peace, a shield of faith. And then he talks about the sword of the spirit. Let's look at a couple of these. First of all, he uses the word methodia here. Now, it's two times this word is used. And I want to tell you, both of them have kind of the same but different meanings. The passage we're in in Ephesians 6 speaks of that he has more ways, more avenues to trick you can ever imagine in a lifetime. When you think you have the devil figured out, you don't. He will blindside you. He will come up to you, work on your mind. By the way, why does it say, why does, why is it, Brother Larry says, put on the helmet or the helmet on us, the spiritual helmet. You know, the first place he wants to attack you right here. He will get in your mind. He'll play games with this. And the battle there is almost won when that happens. So his methods, but the other time the word is used, it's used in, in Ephesians 4.14, and it says where they lie in wait. Now I want you to think about this. Any of you have cats? Either you love them or hate them. I think I'm between two. Especially... I have to tell you a story. Can I tell you a story? I'm in Brazil, next, up next to where the tropical rainforest is at. And there's no bars on the windows. There's no screen on the windows. There's no air conditioning in the house. It's about 2 o'clock in the morning. Now, I'm sleeping right here, and the window is above me. I'm in the second story of the house. Nobody around me. Then all of a sudden, about 2 o'clock in the morning, my sound sleep. Something comes out of that window and jumps on my chest in pitch dark. At that time, my heart was a lot stronger. I'd probably die today. I didn't know what it was, but I heard a meow. I, then I knew what it was. How many lives a cat has? Seven? Nine. Well, it lost one. Did you ever see a cat fly? I took that cat and slung it all the way across the room and hit the wall and went down. That poor cat, every time he'd walk by my room, he would walk like he'd stop, just look there for about 30 seconds and just keep going on. <laughs> but they're tricky. And every night when we lived in Northern Virginia in our house in Kilhaven Drive, a two-story house, everybody go to bed, then B would come to bed. Susie, listen to this. B would walk up the steps, and somewhere that cat hid. We don't know where to this day. And she would jump out on B on her legs, go, blah, 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 blah. She did that to me one time. She again lost one of her lives. Amen. 
shouldn't do that no more. So means lying in waits like this. He's hiding in secret, ready to jump out and pound on you. Be aware of him. He tells us what we wrestle against. Did you realize that the devil is very well organized? Like military rank. He knows exactly what he's doing. For example, it says we wrestle against principalities. And according to Daniel chapter 10, Daniel began to pray. And as the angels came down and he said, all of a sudden, he told him, he said, 21 days ago, I had left heaven. But there came the, the angel or the prince of Persia. 21 days, he fought against him. He resisted against him. And then Michael, the archangel, June 9 is the only place that he's called the archangel, but he's referred to that in the book of Revelation. He came down and helped me to come through. Then he says in verse 20, and when I go back, I will contend with the prince of Persia and with Greece. There are demons that are like generals that are assigned by Satan who are over countries. My first time being in a communist country, scared to death. And I knew it was in a land of darkness. And I began to think the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God, you're God here, even though it's a communist country. Secondly, it's his powers. The powers would be demons that are like privates or in, in the business of possessing men. You ever met people that are demon-possessed? Eyes get little beady. All of a sudden they have strength. They begin to talk. Uncontrollable. So he possesses men. Now, folks, that's a reality. And it's going on in America more than you ever believe. And as we get closer to the end of the age, there will be more demonic activity as his time rolls down. Let me give you another thought. The other thought is this. Listen, this gets you excited. Did you realize that we could be at this moment just seven years away from the millennial kingdom? What are you talking about, Brother Larry? If the rapture takes place right now, seven years and Christ comes back and we're coming back with him. He's going to set upon his kingdom on the earth. You ever thought about that? It's, can't, it's not eons away. As soon as he comes back, the angelic clock starts, those seven years that last week of Daniel happens, and when that is over, Christ comes back on a white horse and a two-edged sword out of his mouth, and he whips the enemy, and he takes the old devil and throws him into a pit for a thousand years. Hey, that's only could be seven years away. I'm excited. That gives me hope. Then not only over people, but over businesses. And then there's rulers of the darkness, Satan's worldly business, and spiritual wickedness. Now this will get you. Spiritual wickedness will have the reference to Satan has demons in religion. Or we can sound, oh, it's no big deal, the Bible says, for him to have angels of light. If I offered you eight ounces of water and put one drop of cyanide in it, would you drink it? He you said, you're crazy, Brother Larry. That's poisoned. But it's only one drop. Doesn't make whether it's eight ounces or one drop. It still will kill you. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of 
sounds true, but all of something, there's some poison in what they're saying. It's not reality. It's not biblical. It doesn't pass the smell and the taste test. And it looks right, but pardon my English, it ain't right. Religion is one of his chief tools. God gives us a full set of armor. But out of this full set of armor, there's only one weapon for offense. It's the sword, makara. And by the way, it's not a four-foot sword like the knights used to wear. It's a little short sword, and it's here on the belt. Now, let me tell you, first of all, it talks about the belt of truth. Let me give you a couple things about the belt of truth. The belt of truth is like this, holding my pants up. But the belt of truth, they would take the robe and pull it up and tuck it up under the belt that Paul saw that the soldiers wore in that day. They got up because they could, number one, get it out of their way so they could run into battle. Number two, gave them easy access to their sword and to their quiver that had their arrows in it. My friend, when he speaks about the belt of the truth, and then he says there's a sword of the Spirit. Now, this is good. When I hold up this, this is called the Bible. It is called the Logos. But when, but when he uses the sword of the Spirit, it is not the Greek word Logos. It is the word Rhema, meaning this. It is taking spiritual passages, spiritual truths out of the word for the same thing that Jesus did when Satan tempted him in the wilderness. He reached into the sword of the spirit and the book of Deuteronomy and he defeated him those three times. And friends, that is called those truths that are found in the scriptures, those verses that are found. And that is our weapon against the evil one. Plays those games on him, start quoting scriptures. Start quoting scriptures. Why is that? Those are bullets, if you please, in the modern day terminology. Those are arrows that I can reach in my quiver and pull back and shoot at him. That's why it's called, that's why it's called the sword of the spirit. It's for combat. It's for to be able to fight. All of the rest of the armor is for defense. You have the helmet to protect you here. The spiritual word of God in your life, the truths of God, to know these things. Because Satan wants to get in here and play a mind game on you. He would want to be able to have your, your breast wide open. That he can pierce you there. And you have the breastplate of armor. And then you go on and you have the, the shield of faith. To be able to quench those fiery darts. And listen, friend. He knows every crack. He knows every weakness. He knows how to tempt us. I need to move on. Wherefore, wherefore, in account of all of this, because the fight is against spiritual powers, he says, take unto you and put on that spiritual armor. Now, question. Brother Larry, do I just wear that when I'm in spiritual warfare? No, you wear it every day of your life. And I want to show you another word. When he says take, how many of you men here or ladies have been in, in the military? Let me see your hands. Anybody? Nope. I don't see a hand. Remember? Oh, Fred was. Fred, what were you in? You were in the army. He knows what happened. Had a first sergeant, didn't you? And he told you, attention. So when Fred was attention, let me tell you what he did. Clicked those heels together, stood straight as an hour, eyes were wide open, ears were open, standing, listening to every word. When he says, taken to you the whole armor it is just like a command from a first sergeant you be sober 
Be vigilant. You come to attention. It's like the snapping of the heels coming together as you put on the whole armor of God. It is a command from God. What are some of the weapons? Well, I noticed something from my grandson Nathan here. About two things this uh, year he got into trapping. Satan has traps and snares. Now let me tell you what that means. In order for a trap to be effective, it's got to be well hidden. None of us are stupid enough to walk around and stick our foot in a trap. So what he does, he hides it well enough that you never see it. You didn't see it coming. He's got it planned. Let me tell you something. What will be a trap for you is not a trap for this dear brother. What's a trap for you, lady, is not a trap for her. He knows exactly what it is, and he has them well hidden. You don't know they're there. They're like sinkholes, and there's a thousand of them. But in order to get you there, he has to entice you with a snare. So as Nathan would put that trap down and cover it over where the animal couldn't see it, he had to put something up on a tree right there to cause the animal he was after for it to attract. And he would use different things for different animals he wanted to, want to catch. By the way, he called a skunk one day and asked him about that. He could keep that skunk. That trap would be there, that trap would be there today if it was mine. He learned. His mama learned. His daddy learned. And we learned, because we went to his house, it smelled like skunk. So in order for him to get you into the trap, he has to entice you. And so he knows what bait works for you. Doesn't work for no one else. And so he wants to get you there, and when you're there, you're caught in his trap. Real quickly, I don't see a timepiece. How are we coming on time, John? Let me give you just a couple of these, and I'm not going to go through the full outline. There are pits. There are internal pits. Listen to this. And there are external pits. The internal pits, nobody sees them but you and God. Well, what are they, Larry? Number one, for a believer, the number one thing would be discouragement. Number two would be doubts. You ever doubted your salvation? You say, nope, I have. And now let me tell you, when you get real sick, you get real down in the valley. I remember that about 18 months ago, I had almost had a heart attack. The people said, you ever see the black light? Listen, I don't only saw the black light, I saw the tunnel. And I'm telling you this, and there was some fear there, as David Jeremiah says, fear of the unknown. And that's caused me in my life to come closer to God in these last 18 months than any time of my life. And friend, let me tell you something. When we talk about their, their, eternal, their internal pits, such as this, you've ever somebody hurt you and you had an anger, you didn't deal with that hurt and the anger went into resentment and you know when you got resentment because everything that person does stinks. They can't put the toothpaste back right. Look at that. They squeezed it wrong. Nothing they do is right. And watch this. The final phase it goes into is bitterness. And bitterness is like getting sprayed with a skunk. Everywhere you go, you stink. Not physically, but spiritually. You've been around people like that, you see them coming, you go to the opposite direction. Because you know they're just going to spew out bitterness and you don't want to hear it. Because somewhere there was a hurt, they never spiritually dealt with it. It went into resentment and now it's affected their entire life. These things are internal, but there's external ones as well. For example... You might be misunderstood. 
You might be mistreated. Mistreated. You may be slandered against. Not only that, somebody may have been your longtime trusted friend for 40 years, turned on you, said this about you, and you said, I could have never believed that they would have done that. A battle is not against flesh and blood. It's spiritual battles. Don't attack the person. Here's what Max Lucado said. Linger too long in the stench of your hurt and you will smell like the toxin you despise. So what do we do? For your spiritual health, for your spiritual walk, it is essential for you to forgive and to release that. Then we go on to weariness. Weariness is very simple. You know what the devil will do? Any of you had kids that used to do this? Wear you out and wear you down. Daddy, daddy, can I? Daddy, daddy, can I? Mama, can I, can I? Mama, can I, can I? They start early in the morning and all day long until you just get so tired. Say, go on, go on. The Satan will wear you down and wear you out. Remember this. When you get feeling weak and your world is falling apart, and by the way, everybody has times when your world falls apart. But listen to this. Don't react. Don't attack. Don't retreat. Just hang in there. Why is that? The King James says it like this. This too shall come to pass. You won't always stay there. God will sustain you. And remember, the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's an entire life. Another one is isolation. Does that ever happen? The loneliness, depression set in? Let me tell you about one of the greatest men of the Bible, Elijah. Elijah confronts Ahab and Jezebel's prophets of the Baal, prophets of the grove. grove. And so they have a contest. And so they go up to Mount Carmel. And here are the 450 prophets of the Baal, 400 prophets of the grove. And over here is Elijah with his men. They're to build an altar, and he's to build an altar. They're to put meat or a sacrifice upon it, and so is Elijah. He says, you go first. They go first, and they pray, and he mocks them and laughs at them. Uh, for the entire morning, nothing happens. He prays a very short, simple prayer, and fire from heaven comes down. It burns the sacrifice, the wood. It is so hot that it engulfs all of the water that they had poured on it. And the rocks consumes them. And then it says, the Lord is our God. The Lord is our God. They slayed the 450 prophets of Baal. The 400 prophets of the grove. It was a mountaintop experience. Life couldn't get any better. But the... Ahab goes home telling Jezebel. Let me tell you what happened to your prophets. She said, by this time tomorrow, he will be like the prophets of Baal. You know what he does? He doesn't stand. He runs. The total distance as he get down, as he goes all the way down to the mountain, he runs approximately about 150 miles and uh, Horeb, Mount Horeb. While he's there, depression sets in. He does something. If you would be honest, really honest, you probably have prayed the same thing. I bet you want to know what I'm going to say, don't you? Well, I'm going to tell you. Here's what he said. He was so depressed. God, kill me. I don't want to live. <laughs> Guess what? 
God fed him. And God asked him two times, what are you doing here, Elijah? But Lord, I'm the only one you have. Oh, really? I've got thousands of men that haven't even bowed their knee to Baal. You think you're the only one? God didn't answer his prayer. By the way, he sent down a, fire to cha- uh, a fiery chariot down, picked him up in a whirlwind and took him to heaven. He's yet to die. But kill me, Lord. The depression was so great. And a spiritual principle here, you remember this. Anytime after a spiritual battle and a mountaintop experience, there's going to be spiritual warfare. And it's going to be real. And it's going to blindside you because you thought, I never saw this thing coming. Does it happen to good spiritual people? Glad you asked that question. You remember the story in Luke, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 16. Jesus marches the disciples all the way up to Mount Hermon. And there he asked them one question. Who do men say that I am? And you remember the story. And finally, he says, but who do you say I am? Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, says, thou art the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the one to come. And listen to what Jesus says. Flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Spiritually filled man answers the right thing. Just in a few verses later, Jesus talking about his death and resurrection, and Peter speaks up and says, Not so, Lord. And Jesus turns and he says, Get thee behind me, Satan. What? Here was the man earlier that had just spoken of the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. As now Jesus says, you've allowed Satan to enter you. Listen to this. Good people can, if not careful, can get out of fellowship and can become a tool of Satan. That means Larry Henderson, any of us. And when we isolate ourselves, we after all of a sudden, when we think we're the only one and we don't begin to open our life up to other people, Satan will bring discouragement. Satan will begin to work in our life. Number two is fiery darts. Now I won't go into that. These are demonly charged, strategically aimed at vulnerable areas in your life and your ministry. If you're a shield of faith, faith in God, faith in His Word, they will hit that shield and will bounce off. It always attacks your worth and value. I need to move on. How about the final thing is null out assault. December the 16th, 1944, the German army threw everything in its arsenal against the Allied troops. We know it as the Battle of the Bulge. The Allies lost 75,000 men or casualties in that battle. They threw everything at the Allied forces, not hoping to win the war, but to prolong the war, to keep it going on, that they can continually build factories underground and their forces and keep the war going on. Here's our spiritual principle. There are times in your life and in my life when Satan will have an all-out offensive against you like everything he's got in his arsenal, mentally, friends, everything you can think of and imagine, health. And he's going to throw it right at you. And listen, 
I want you to hear this as we close. Paul says three times, stand, stand, stand. Then tell us to run. Why can we stand when all the forces of the evil one pulls up on us and trying to destroy us? Because our God is greater. Greater is he that lives within you than he that is in the world. And by the way, don't you try to fight that battle when the, when, listen, when the devil was fighting with Michael over the body of Moses. Listen, it's Michael the archangel. He said, he will not even bring a railing accusation against the devil. Don't you ever feel so brave. You said, I can take this water bottle in my face. I can charge the devil at it. Friend, you might, but you're not going to last long. You need to realize who he is. And Michael said this, the Lord rebuke thee. And friend, when he comes, I want to give you a simple thing. And I want you to learn it. When Satan comes, I want you to verbally say it, not just inside, verbally. Satan, get out of... Satan, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the power of His shed blood, and the power of His resurrection, get out of my life, get out of my mind, get out of my family. He's defeated him. On the cross, Jesus Christ made an open spectacle of Satan and defeated him and took the title deed of the earth back. Satan today no longer has the full arrow. Jesus broke off the pointed end and, and gave back the feather end to Satan. He can tempt you. He can wave with it. But friend, the arrow has been broken. And because the power of God lives within you, throw up that shield of faith. Put on that armor that God has given you and pull out your makara, that short 18-inch spiritual sword that thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Call out biblical principles that God has taught you. Call them out. Put them into that arsenal and shoot those arrows. Shoot those bullets at him because, my friend, that is the sword of the Spirit. What a great passage he's given us. I haven't even exhausted it. Let's bow our heads as we conclude in prayer. Some of you here have recently, and maybe right now, have been going through a spiritual battle. You feel like Satan is throwing his hot arrows at you. Just flinging them in your way. He will do it through other people. He will do it through your mind. He'll do it through your job. He'll do it through any way that he can. And he is interested, and listen to this, to crush you, to ruin you and to shame you and to eternally cause you to go to hell. Turn your heart, turn your life over the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Satan tempts you and tells you that you're not saved, you go right back to the Word of God and says, this is what God says, that if thou shalt believe with thy heart that God hath raised Jesus from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I believe that, and I put my faith on that. And there's no plan B, there's no other way. It's Jesus and Him only. And Satan, you can keep tempting me, you can keep lying to me, but I'm continually trusting Jesus. Put your faith in Him. Put on that armor of God. Right now, somebody said, Brother Larry, pray for me. I'm really going through a battle. Satan is just throwing some fiery darts at my way. He's looking for those cracks. And as a brother in Christ, I want you to pray for me. Anyone here today?
So let's pray for me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And thank you, Father, for the spiritual principles that are found within this word. And Lord, we realize that we are in a constant roaring battle that Satan is out to seek to destroy us, to shame us, to criticize us, to rob us, and ultimately, if we're without Christ, to cause as many people to go to hell as possible. But thank you, Father, you're not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. And that the blood of Jesus Christ can and does cleanse us from all sin. And thank you, Father, that Satan is a defeated foe, but yet we need to stand behind and end our Lord Jesus Christ. For this whole passage, Lord, points to, to Galatians 2.20, that Christ is crucified, not I. And that it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives within me in the life that I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me. I believe, Lord, as we start the book of Romans in chapter 1, there is therefore no condemnation. In chapter 8, 1, there is no, therefore no condemnation. And we conclude in chapter 8 of Romans, there is now nothing able to separate us. No condemnation to no separation. All because of the mighty hand of God that no one is able to pluck us out of your hand. Be with my dear brothers and sisters as they go through these battles, these horrible times when Satan is trying to destroy us, that we will learn to use that one offensive weapon and use it well, which is the Word of God. And Father, to put on faith and wear that helmet, wear that breastplate, hold up the shield, have feet that are the preparation of gospel of feet. Peace, Lord. Learn to apply this thing. And walk through this life because you've promised that you have never left us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.